Again, long, long time ago, I was preaching in the book of 1 Corinthians, before some vacation, before some guests. So we're going to get back into there today. We're in chapter 7, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's going to take me two weeks to tackle it. And uh, it starts with extreme reactions. Have you ever had an extreme reaction? Not necessarily talking about an allergic reaction, but sort of a, a decision where you're like, well, I am never doing that again. I'm never going there again. On the very simple level, I remember as a kid, I vividly remember eating chocolate and chocolate frosted Pop-Tarts, eating too many of them. They made a return appearance, if you understand my drift. And I said, I am never eating that again. And to this day, I don't think I've eaten any Pop-Tarts, let alone chocolate Pop-Tarts. Just, it's just, no, never going there again. Angel hair pasta, same category. I ate angel hair pasta, got violently ill. I just can't do it. I just can't eat angel. There's nothing wrong with angel hair pasta, but somehow that memory, that moment, that video, I'm not going there again. You know, angel, so please don't invite me over and serve me a big bowl of that. Maybe you will. Watch. Let's see what he does. Let's, let's watch him squirm. He doesn't turn down food. Just can't go there. I just cannot do angel hair pasta. You ever have those extreme things? You bought a car. The car failed the next month. I am never buying that whatever brand. Just never again. It's over. It's never going there again. That's done. Right? Maybe you were chased by a dog as a kid. All dogs are bad. I don't want anything to do with a dog, right? It's just, that's it. That's over. You like that? It's just done. Done. Never taking my business to that place again. We just react. And a lot of times it's after something negative. But I've seen extreme reactions after something positive before, where someone makes just extreme statements. I remember having a friend go on a, a long mission trip to Mexico. He, he even lived down there maybe at least a year. And so there was a positive experience. He was serving the Lord, and he was surrounded by a whole different culture and a lot of poverty. And when you come back to the States, there's kind of a process to reenter. And I remember him like, that's it. I don't need all this stuff. I've got two T-shirts and a pair of pants. That's it. I don't need any more clothes than that. Well, you know, it rains. Sometimes you need a raincoat. It's like it was just an unrealistic response, right? You know, on the one hand, you're like, how can I live simply? How can I take the lessons I've learned in poverty? What do I really need? But probably in life, you need more than two t-shirts and a pair of pants, right? I mean, at just some point, they're going to wear out. At some point, there might be an occasion where you need like shirts with buttons, right? So there's just this extreme reaction, right? Or I'm, we eat such luxurious food, it's chicken and rice the rest of my life. And so on the one hand, you appreciate the, the heart response. You encountered something, you saw God move, he stirred. But sometimes there's an extreme reaction. Well, I'm just only going to do this forever. It's, it's unrealistic. It's, it's too much. It's too much. And that's what's happening in this passage. That's what's happening in this church in Corinth. We've been reading about this church. They're, they've had some problems. We've, we've been wrestling through. And what we're going to see today is they were jumping to extreme reactions in all different directions, extreme responses. And Paul's got to say, let's just, let's just come back to a, here's the point today, come back to God's call. Remain faithful to God's call on your life without going way over there and way over here. And ah, I'm never, and this is the only way. Just, just, 
breathe. Let's be reasonable. Let's think this through. God's got a call on your life. He wants you to do it, but we're not going to be shooting to extremes. So that's the point today. Now I'm going to, chapter seven is complex. It's all about marriage, marriage, divorce, singleness, remarriage, slavery, circumcision. It's just all in this, this chapter goes all over the place. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's a two-parter. I'll be lucky if I can do it in two parts, but I'm going to make a go of it. But this little phrase here underpins the whole thing. I'm going to show you all that. There's a lot of difficult topics, sensitive topics in here. But if we can get the idea that we're not going to extremes, we're remaining faithful to God's call, I think it'll make sense. So let's just take a stab at chapter 7. I want to read the whole thing because I want you to get the big global thing in our head. And then we'll come back and start piecing it out. Again, it's going to take me two weeks to unpack it. Chapter 7. Now... Concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? For how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. For... He who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. 
So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. You're liking that part. Okay. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, then let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart being under no necessity but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. Whew! There's a few landmines in there. We'll try to step on every one of them. Okay. So, we're going to piece this together, but I want, there's all this. Married, unmarried, you know, married, non-believer, married, single. We had slavery in there. We had Jew-Gentile in there. We had engaged couples in there. We got all of it in there. So, how do we unpack this thing? This is where the point, we need to see how this whole passage hangs together and then address each subgroup. That's, that's what we need to do. So this idea of remaining faithful to God's call in your life. I want to show you that in the passage, and then we'll come back and hit these different uh, scenarios. It's a lot of if-thens. If you're this, then do this. If you're that, then do this. So remain faithful, not extreme. So I want to show you where that comes from. Remain faithful, not go to extremes. So it comes right at the beginning. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, what you have to realize is this is a back and forth dialogue between the Apostle Paul and the church at Corinth. Very likely, when you open 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians in your Bible, we should really call them 2 Corinthians and 4 Corinthians. Okay, that, there's a back and forth. Somehow Paul wrote a letter to them, and they reacted, responded, and then they sent a letter back and then Paul writes this letter, and then they have a bunch of questions and responses, and goes back, and then we get 
second group. So, that, so we got back and forth here. So it says, they wrote him a letter. And he's going to answer their, resp- their, their question. It's really a statement. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote. So they're sending something back to Paul, and this was their statement. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. It literally reads, it's good to not touch one. Does that sound extreme? This is married people. So this is what happens. And you're going to see this in a few ways, and you're like, okay, there's all kinds of temptations and lusting. That's it. I'm done. I'm celibate. It's over. I'm not touching her. We're not touching. We're living in the same house. We'll share the same cereal, but that's it. It's good. That's, that's the way out of it. Now, if you were here like four weeks ago, we were in chapter 6, there was a whole other group of people doing a whole other extreme. I don't know if you remember. They were of the extreme that thought, hey, Jesus has forgiven me from everything. My spirit goes on to heaven. It doesn't matter what happens to my body. So they were visiting the temple prostitutes that were available in Corinth. Like, it's, it's wide open. Go for it. And Paul in chapter 6 was saying, no, 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 no. We don't do that extreme, okay? That's immoral. We don't do that. So then another group that's like, well, if that's bad, then it's over. I'm celibate. doesn't matter if I'm married. That's the other extreme. And so I'm sure Paul gets this and he's just going, can we just go down the middle here? Can we just be reasonable here? All right? They're just, boom. We'll, we'll just, it's over. We're done. We'll solve that problem, right? So this idea of remain, not extreme, Verse 20, I'm just going to show you these quick. Each one should remain, stay in the condition in which he's called. That command, that happens, remain in verses 8, 11, 20, 24, 26, and 40. It is a key word in this chapter. Remain as you are, remain as you are, remain as you are. In marriage, unmarriage, singleness, Jew, Gentile, slave, free. He's like, don't go jumping. Jesus did this, boom, I'm over here. I remember someone telling me they became a Christian. They were convinced that the social security number was the mark of the beast. They removed it. They're out of the system. It's caused all these problems in their life and their marriage. You're like, wait, it's just a number. Relax, right? It's not the mark of the beast. But it's just this reaction. They're all over the place. Let me show you verse 24. So brothers, in whatever condition each one was called, there let him remain with God. Verse 26. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. The backdrop to this is that things are crumbling. Jesus is soon to return. Don't go jumping all over the place. Now, we're sitting here going, well, Paul said that, like, you know. 1900 some years ago, but we still live with the mindset this world's not our permanent home. Jesus is coming back. Things are crumbling. Let's not just be jumping all over. Let's not look at the world for our cues. Remain on par. Remain where God has you. Not this extreme, I'm going to go to the prostitutes. I'm never going to be with my wife again. It's just, no, 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 stop that. Stop that. So that's the first part. Remain faithful to not extreme. Second part, to God's call on your life. Let me show you that in the passage. The second part is that God has a call on your life. Look down at verse 17. Verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. 
A lot of times, especially as Americans, we think our life is a blank slate. We make all the decisions. We make all the paths. We chart our own course. We do, and this is, that's not the biblical view. Right? First there, it says only let each person lead the life. That seems very suggestive in English. It's actually, in the original, is it a command. Each person must. That would actually be a better rendering. Each person must lead the life. It's a command. It's an imperative voice. It's an imperative. You must do this. Lead the life is the words for walk. The Bible often has your life like a journey. You're going to go down a path. God's got a path for you. You need to go down that path. Two words there, the Lord has assigned and the Lord has called. You're not random charting your own course. It's not a blank canvas. God thought of you. He planned for you. He has a path for you. Jump over to Psalm 139. I love this psalm. Psalm 139, verse 13, fills out this idea. Psalm 139, verse 13. This is a great, great psalm for understanding that you're not, you, you're, you didn't just show up and you, you have all the keys, right? Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance Listen to this part. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Is that amazing? All right, you're not random. You know, I, I was just thinking of that, that uh, your DNA is a double helix strand. What's the words here? He wove you together. We think that's just some random collection, a bunch of chromosomes get together and there's all those double helix strands. God's in there. God's putting it together. God's working. God saw you, knew you, and then it says all your days are written before you even start. Right? Now, I don't know that that means right down to the detail that he's like, okay, what's today? August 29th, 2021, Pastor Ryan, blue plaid shirt, or black plaid shirt, black pants. It's set. I don't know that that matters, but your, your course of life matters, okay? I don't know if he cares what you ate for breakfast or not, but, but your path I wove you together. I planned for you to be here. I have some things that I want you to do, right? Where am I? Get back here to 1 Corinthians. The Lord has a path for you. He has thought of you. He's assigned you. He put some days in front of you. You're not randomly here in this church. You're not randomly in your job. You're not randomly in your school. You're not randomly. It's purposeful. It's planned. He's got a path for you. And he's saying, I want you to walk that path. Especially, he's like, I don't want you bouncing all over to crazy stuff, right? Don't go to the temple prostitute. Don't neglect your spouse. He's like, stop all that. God's got something for you to do. I want you to be faithful to that. You've got a call on your life. I wanted you here. I have some stuff for you to do, and I want you to do it. So that's that's those two pieces. I wanted us to see that, to remain faithful. That underpins this whole passage, remain faithful. God's plan for you. He wanted you. He's got to walk for you. He wants you to go down it. He wants you to do it. So the whole passage hinges on that. 
Because it's easy to get lost real fast in the weeds. Probably as I was reading it, you're like, whew, let's watch him sweat the next couple weeks as he unpacks that bad boy. So we're going to get to two of them today. So now we got the underpinnings. Faithful, God's got to remain faithful, not extreme, to God's call in your life. Now we're going to apply it in all these different scenarios. The first scenario was in marriage intimacy. That was the scenario in chapter 7. Getting the right Corinthians here. It's very helpful. Okay, verse 1. So let's get back to that. Now, concerning matters about which you wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Paul, he's like, no. Let's look what he says. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. I love how practical the Bible is. He's like, that's just not going to work. Right? You are... God created sex and sexuality for you. There are drives in there. If you're just going to shut the door, that's going to create a problem. That's going to create tensions. That could very well cause the spouse to look outside the marriage, and then we've got a whole other problem going on. So, no, that's not the right idea. What's he say? Verse 3, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. I thought it was super interesting there that the wife is listed first. A lot of times the Bible gets this, it's anti-woman, it's male-dominated, but here, the wife has rights over the husband's body listed first. And then the husband, right? And then they go on, the wife, you don't have authority. When you take those vows... Scripture says the two become one flesh. So you belong to one another. You've been joined by Christ. Intimacy is for marriage. And and he's saying you can't just make a decision. You can't just come back from a retreat and say, that's it. I'm going to live celibate. I'm doing it. I'm building a little he shed in the backyard, and I'm doing this thing. I'm going to be like, no, 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 no. And she can tell you no. Like, that's not how it's going to work around here. Because we took some vows, and God joined us together, and your crazy idea is not working. And vice versa. I don't think this is to be weaponized. This is not a weapon. Like, hey, the Bible says, so you bet. No, no. This is showing mutual love, care, concern for the other. You see, he gives that clause there. If I don't deprive one another, except by an agreement. Maybe you devote yourself to prayer. Maybe they're going to go away for a retreat. Maybe say, I just need to focus on this. But you've agreed. It's together. But then come together again so Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. It's very practical. He's like, no, your dumb idea won't work, guys. This, you're just going to be celibate? He's like, no, it won't work. You got married in the first place. Come on. So he's saying, don't do that. You need to be faithful. You, you belong to one another. You belong to one another. One of my, I like this quote from one of my commentaries this week. It's from Barnett. He says, while the kingdom of God and fellowship with the risen Lord is the ultimate reality for the Christian, The immediate and pressing reality in this age is God's call to sexual holiness in the face of sexual drive and sexual temptation in a culture which glorifies sexual freedom. So we have some other realities. Our ultimate reality is the kingdom of God. But there's this practical reality that in our culture, anything goes. Just like in Corinth, anything goes. Same with us. And this, this chapter is like, how do we live holy, faithful lives in this whole realm in a culture that's going all different directions? And the answer was, thus Paul urges, 
Let each man have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The marriage bond and sexual intimacy in the marriage is the appropriate, healthy, holy way for sexual expression. It's a gift from God. It's for marriage. That's why he put it in there. That's why he says, don't deprive one another. Don't come up with some crazy plan where that's over because you took some weird vow and watched some weird movie. Like, no, that's not going to work, guys. That's what he's saying. It's don't work. It's very practical. You need to be faithful to God's call in your life. If Jesus has called you, you're Christians, you're married, intimacy goes with it. Now, again, this has been weaponized, and that's not what he's getting at either. The Bible says, so therefore, like that, you got a whole lot of other problems if that's how it's working. So let me just urge, if there's tensions in this area, if there's hostilities, if there's disconnection, that's a symptom the intimacy part, and I just encourage you to reach out for help. Maybe there's some other breakdown. Maybe there's things from somebody's past that are causing that area to have problems. Maybe there's an abuse back there or something. And so there's probably some inner work to be done. So it's, it, it's kind of like a warning light. If this area is struggling, it could be a warning light that something's going on deep inside. And so let me just urge you, if you're in that place and there's a struggle here in intimacy, reach out. I'm happy to talk with you suggest some Christian biblical counseling. And that's, that's a good thing to have wise biblical counselors say, let's walk through this area and let's get healthy here because it is a gift from God. It is something for marriage. It does help us remain faithful to his call on our life. And we don't want to go into extremes because you see it's a serving of one another. So let me just put that out there. I'm happy to direct you. If, if you're a married person and that's a struggle, I'm happy to help direct with some resources and thoughts there. And because uh, Paul's saying, no, you're married. Don't do your crazy plan. Be faithful in this way to your spouse. So that's, that's group one. Group two goes a whole nother direction. Remain faithful to God's call on your life in singleness. Oh, sorry. Cold, not COVID. Okay. So let's look at that one. Verse six. Now as a concession... Not a command, okay? So he's, he's kind of backing down the authority level here. He's not commanding this, but he's saying, put this in your thinking. I say this, I wish that all were I as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. He's going to say, this could be a gift. To the unmarried and the widows. You see that in verse 8? To the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to remain single as I am. So Paul was single. We don't really get the story why. Did he have a spouse die? Doesn't say. Did he never marry? Doesn't say. Was he divorced? When he turned to Christ, did his wife leave him? I don't know. He just says he is unmarried. He doesn't say never married, so I don't know. We don't have the backstory. But he says he is in the camp of being unmarried. And he puts it out there that that is a viable biblical option to stay single, to remain single. And he's saying that is, he says, I'm not commanding it. He's not commanding it, but I want you to consider it. I want you to consider staying single, that that you don't have to race to get married. There's not something wrong with you if you're not married, right? He He gave some reasons down there in verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. We had some good chuckles over there, right? Some of you go, wow. My spouse makes me anxious every moment of every day. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. 
right? It's just, it's just practical. If you're married, you've got a person you've committed to, and you need to help them. 34, and his interests are divided, and the unmarried woman or betrothed, so either married or engaged, is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. You see that? Paul's saying that. He's saying, I say this for your own benefit, right? It's not a curse. He's saying this is a benefit not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So he's saying this is a gift to give you undevoted attention to the Lord. Jesus says the same thing. I won't go there in Matthew 19. He also says being single is a gift from the Lord. And I just want us to lift that up as a positive thing. I think unintentionally over the years, the evangelical church has exalted marriage to this sort of, this is the status and everything is about married and being married. And we've neglected singleness as a biblical gift for whatever reason you're single. He doesn't even say, but you're single because they died. You're single because they never married. You're single because you're divorced. It doesn't really matter how you got there because we're in this remain in the condition he called you. He's a path for you. Don't go jumping crazy. So I want to just affirm that singles have an opportunity to serve God in a way that married people do not. I also want to say that my family and my kids are personally benefited by some of you singles in this room because you're serving in our children's ministry and you're serving in our youth ministry and you bless us by doing so. And so I want to uphold that and celebrate that and say, yes, thank you for being servants in our church, serving the Lord. It's a great thing. And, uh, and if you are married, let's make a deal not to constantly ask single people, when are you going to get married? How come you're not married? I got this cousin, Sally. You really got, don't do that. Because you're basically saying where you are is a problem and we need to fix your problem. What if where they are is exactly the path God has for them? What if he's saying, I want you to walk this road. I want you to go down this path. I want this. That's okay. That's okay that God's called you to this thing. And maybe he hasn't. I don't know. But I want to just encourage you to at least put it in the prayer hopper. If you're single, to just say, God, what do you want from me? Do you want me to marry? Great. Do you want me to be single? Great. I'll do what you want me to do. So we want to be faithful to God's call in your life in singleness. Remember, he said, this is not a command, right? There was concessions right in there. Verse 9, if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, right? It's better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, many young men have used this verse to try to convince a young girl, don't, come on, guys. This is not a verse you quote to them to make them try to marry you, okay? What's better? Don't do that, come on. But he's just very practical, right? He's just practical. Look, if you can't do it, if you know it's not possible, if you know you're one of those people that just you got to be married or it's going to be a problem, say it's not wrong. Pray for it. Seek a godly wife. That's fine. But you just, I want to hold this out as a possibility to remain faithful to God's call on your life in singleness. It's okay. It could be exactly where God has you. He has some things that only you can do because you're unmarried, and that's a beautiful gift. And then we, as marrieds, we need to be careful we don't constantly suggest that there's an error because they're not married. Because it could be exactly how God has them. It could be he's got a spouse for you. That's up to him. But the point is, consider not jumping, not extreme, 
just this is the path God's got me on right now. We want to remain faithful to God's call on your life. We've only seen two of them today in marriage intimacy, in singleness. We're going to look at the rest of them next week. But it's important just to take time and consider what is God's call in my life? Who's directing me? What information am I taking in? What sources do I, do I use to make these decisions? Uh, and it could be that we're looking at wrong sources. There's a lot of information of our world that is intentionally deceptive. Have you ever been intentionally deceived by someone? And you're just like, what? I remember that years ago I was playing. I, I went to the YMCA downtown looking to play some pickup basketball. And I'm shooting around the gym, and no one's there. And this guy's shooting around with me. He says, oh, Monday and Wednesday, that's when you come, and there's people ready to play basketball. Monday, Wednesday morning. I show up. There's nobody in the gym. I'm like, what? So I come, and then I found out it's on Tuesday and Thursday. So I come on Tuesday, and there's that guy playing. And I was like, what? And what we figured, there's only one court. So the more people are there, the longer you wait for your turn. I'm like, that guy lied to me. He didn't want me here. You know he got some hard fouls and some armpits in the face on that action. But anyways, I'm like, what? Why would he do that? Why? He looked me right in the eye and said, Monday and Wednesday is when we play basketball here. And there he was. Our whole world is geared up that way. There's an enemy. There's other culture agendas. And they'll look you in the face and say, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do regarding marriage. This is what you need to do with sexuality. This is what you need to do. And much of it is a lie. And so this whole chapter, whether these two categories hit you or not, maybe neither one of these hit you, um, is to just take some time and say, am I really willing to ask, what does God want? I don't want to listen to deceptive voices. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I'm going to encourage you in any of these categories, we're going to get to all of them, married, unmarried, all the different ones we're going to hit over the next week, that the real things, whatever's in front of you, you stop and say, okay, God has a call in my life. He's thought about it ahead of time. I'm getting all kinds of input, and I need to just renew my mind. I need to come back before God and his word and say, okay, what is true? What path do you want me on? What have you carved out for me? What are the next steps in front of me? Because I want to discern your will. I want to follow your path. I don't want to listen to lies. I don't want to respond to extremes. I just want to follow you. And he will meet you there. Another, another brother and sister might join you in that. Say, let's look at God's word. Let's renew our mind together. Let's put our eyes on him. Let's walk the path he has for us. Because it's going to be good and healthy and fulfilling and whole, whatever it is. Might be the things in front of you might have nothing to do with relationships. Maybe it has something to do with your future. And you say, I want to follow the call you have. So let me encourage you this week to take some time to say, God, what's the call you have in my life? How do I hear you and not lies? And how do I walk in it? Help me to walk in it. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have a plan and a path for us. We're not random. We're not wandering. We're not charting our course haphazardly. You've got something you want us to walk into. I just pray that we would not listen to lies. We would not be deceived. We would not jump to extremes. We would not have fear of missing out. We would just say, you've got a will for us. I pray for our marriages, Lord, that you would bring health. You would bring a mutual love and respect to one another. 
there's any in this room or hearing my voice online that this, there's some warning lights going on, would you give them the courage to seek help, counsel, support, prayer? Would you do a healing work in this most deep part of their relationship? Would you just protect our marriages? Would I pray for all of our unmarried, all of our singles, that you would strengthen them, encourage them, that you would make it clear to them whether you've got them right where you want them or if you have a different path? Would you give them a sense of peace about where you've got 